0: I think today what's happened is entrepreneurship has become sexy just with every news article that goes out saying oh this company has raised money and uh, this company had an exit right and I think a lot of people can feel man I want to live that dream I want to be famous I want to be rich I want to have that validation from the world that I've built something and I think some people can also tie it to their legacy very deeply.
1: This is episode number 90 of The Inspiring Talk with Anirudh Narain. Welcome guys to The Inspiring Talk. My name is Vijay Gautam. I'm your host for this show. Each week I interview today's most successful and inspiring personalities to help you realize your inner potency. If you have been thinking of starting your own startup from scratch, this episode is for you. My guest for this episode, Anirudh Narayan, is an author of the book, Scale Smart, How to Get Your First Thousand Customers in India. He is also the founder of Master Life, a personal transformation organization where they bring you courses and assessments on key life skills to help you become a better version of yourself. He has worked with over 5,000 aspiring entrepreneurs and several startups in US, Latin America, Africa, and Asia with launching their idea, reaching product market fit, and scale. On this episode, Anirudh breaks down the process of coming up with this startup idea, validating it, building MVP, and scaling it. You can call this episode a masterclass on building a startup from scratch, where we dive deep into the Idea beat a lot. Let's get started. Welcome back inside this episode, guys. I am here with Anirudh. Anirudh, thank you so much for joining me on the show. Vijay, thank you so much for having me. Anirudh, now I want to jump straight into the conversation. You have worked with a lot of startups in the past, and now you have started your own and getting into that zone. I want to start with a very, very basic fundamental question. Okay. A lot of people, and this is something that I do when I work with people just to start a podcast as well. I tell them, you know what, you need to have the clarity of your why. Why do you even want to do podcast? So I'm sure that, you know, that's something that you talk, you know, that's something that you tell the startup founders or the people who aspire to become an entrepreneur saying that, Hey, you need to have the clarity of your why. Why do you even want to start this business? Or why do you even want to Think about becoming an entrepreneur if you are not the one already. So how does one define why in the startup? Or is there something that you'd like to share for the people on defining their why? What should be the why that drives people to start? Sure.
0: Yeah. So I think Vijay, first of all, I think today what's happened is entrepreneurship has become sexy. Just with every news article that goes out saying, oh, this company has raised money and uh, this company had an exit, right? And I think a lot of people can feel, man, I want to live that dream. I want to be famous. I want to be rich. I want to have that validation from the world that I've built something, right? And I think some people can also tie it to their legacy very deeply. And uh, the reason why you should have a why is because this journey is really difficult. I was actually stressing out in the morning today, like, oh my God, we haven't hit our goals for the month of May. And uh, do we have enough money in the bank? And the challenge of being an entrepreneur is you have a constant tick. You're constantly thinking about the business. I'm sure you are an entrepreneur yourself, Ajay, and you're like, you're constantly thinking about how do I grow my company, right? Sure. So I think the why needs to be very clear and it has to be more inward focused. It can't be your metrics for the why cannot be, I want to make a million dollars. That can be a byproduct or, uh, that can be uh, something that comes along the way, but it has to be like fundamentally what you love doing. And I think if, let's say for Bajay, it is I fundamentally love learning about people's stories and I'm curious about their life. Then podcasting is something you could do for like the next 10 years and not feel the heaviness of it. So True. I, I think a lot of people start off with the why, which is to satisfy their self-esteem needs. But I think only after a period of time when you start kind of scraping saying, okay, maybe I need to do this because I truly want to impact people. I truly want to help this person. And people don't have to start massive. It doesn't have to be like, oh my God, I need to help millions of people. It could be one iteration. I just want to make sure that my friend Varsha gets a job during COVID and I'm going to really make sure she gets it. Uh, So it could be something as simple as that. And then we're like, okay, we help one person, how do we help multiple people?
1: Yeah, that's really interesting. You say it should be inward. It should be something that you really care about. And it's not something that you say, I want to make money or I want to be famous or something. And a lot of people, uh, when they come to me on my own podcast program, and the first question people ask me, hey, how do I make money from podcasts? And my answer is, don't start a podcast. Then there are better ways to make money, <laughs> right? So, yeah. I mean, obviously I'm not saying that you will not make money. I mean, at the end of the day, you want to make money as an entrepreneur. You want to you yeah. grow your business. But if you make that a first thing, then you will not stay on the game longer because you won't see money coming in another six months or a year. When that happens, then you are like, okay shit, I'm I thought I'll make money and I'm not making any money. So yeah. that doesn't you know take you on a longer mile. So if you wanna stay on the game for the longer, as you mentioned earlier, for me it's like the sheer passion of just sharing the stories out to the world and just learning myself every single week with the people and that Get you know that got me going even when I had like three people listening to the podcast on a day, uh, you know, uh, for the first six months. So one of the things that I you know share with people when it comes to finding why is there is this um, something called a seven label deep exercise that Dean Graziosi talks about, where you know he makes people ask. Why for the seventh time? Why do you want to do this? I want to do this because let's say I want to make money. Why do you want to make money? And then you know you answer that question. And then you do that seven times. And he says, What comes out of that is like a really, really powerful purpose. And it's usually not about you. It's always about someone else. It's about I want to help people, uh, you know, do this because I have gone through the same challenge and I don't want anybody to face whatever. Right. So right. that's one of the ways to discover the why that I love. Is there any other tool that has helped you or that you talk about that you'd like to share with my listeners i think i
0: did a lot in my 20s to just satisfy my self-esteem needs so like i traveled and like i try to make sure you know i worked in a job which actually maybe which paid maybe a decent amount of money i mean uh, uh this company that i worked with called shutterstock i worked at the empire state building so it was beautiful like going into work every day right but after some time like after three months you're like dude those are just shiny objects like they don't matter to you anymore, right? They become the new normal. So I think if anyone's kind of looking to find their why, obviously Ikigai is a good book to pick up. It kind of talks about the balance between what you love doing, what you can get paid for, what the world wants. And it's kind of that intersection of the Venn diagram. The other thing which I think would be really interesting that people could try is you want to do things that come naturally to you or where your strengths kind of lie. So an exercise that I did maybe very early on, uh, maybe I would say two, three years before I started Master Life, was I asked maybe 15 of my friends. And this is something Gary Vaynerchuk also says, right? Talk to 15 people, three to five who are your friends, three to five people that you worked with, three to five people who are your acquaintances, and then ask them, okay, what is Ani good at? What are his weaknesses? And then what is something you think you can be best in the world at? And you wouldn't believe the kind of answers I got. I mean, there the were patterns that you could see in terms of weaknesses, like I get distracted and, you know, I need I need constant, like, energy and adrenaline, you know. Uh, whereas something that they said in terms of what I can be best in the world at was also a pattern. You know, so I, I think when you start thinking of that, then you're like, okay, that's interesting. Maybe that's the space that uh, you should... You should be in Uh, because the reason why I say when you stick to your strengths you'll actually like doing that specific task or you'll actually like doing that I think a good example also is I played basketball when I was younger I mean when I was a lot younger I played uh, like 10-15 years and if it was just me and the rim and shooting it's a good possibility I would have given up on the sport maybe a couple of months later but it had the right ingredients of there was a team and I liked like I liked doing things where, which had people around me. And then there was a goal. There was an angle of competitiveness. You know? So I think it's also important to start reflecting and deconstructing maybe some of the things that you have achieved in life and start seeing, okay, what are some of the common parameters of patterns that you've seen? And then start with your strengths and then see what the world wants, what's happening out there, and then kind of try to merge the two.
1: I think that's a great suggestion there. I mean, observing the patterns, right? If there are ten people who are saying that you are good at that, that means even though you don't think that you are good, that means that is your innate talent that you have. And maybe you can do something about it. And then you go and find the problems that you want to solve with these strengths that you have, and then go and find. But that's the another thing that I want to talk about, because I get this call from a lot of people, my own friends, and a lot of listeners as well saying that, you know what, I want to do something, but I don't know what, (laughs) you know, I might know that, you know, these are my strengths, but I want to start something, but I don't know what. I'm really, really stuck with coming out with a business idea, right? So how do you come out with the business idea or where does this idea pool come to the entrepreneurs? Because now here's the interesting thing. So this, this is the one set of people, right? The people who want or desire to be an entrepreneur and they have like no idea. And when I talk to entrepreneurs on the flip side, these guys are like full of ideas and they would yeah. have a crazy number of ideas. They are already doing, you know, a startup and they have like 10 other ideas that, uh, you know, they want to make. Right? Yeah. So where does that pool of idea comes from?
0: I was actually talking to my brother today and I was telling him about just things being a little stressful at master life, And, you know, I just feel like we don't have enough hands on deck and there's just so much work to do all the time. And he was like, listen, at least you're pursuing an idea. And you have ideas and he's like, dude, I don't have any ideas. And I was like, dude, I have 10 ideas right now that I would love to implement. I just don't have the time. So to your point, I think for people who don't have ideas, I think a good way to think about it is start assessing your day and see the kind of information that you're gravitating towards or the things that you like doing. So let's say you're someone named Akshay and you like playing a lot of games physical games you like playing board games you like playing online games and let's say you love food right so you end up consuming information in that space so if you're doing that your curiosity is automatically going to take you in that direction and you want in some sense to create a business and it doesn't have to be a venture-funded business i think a lot of people are like oh man i want to create this venture-funded business and that's shiny objects ideally you want to get paid for things that you like doing so like make a list of the things that you like doing and uh, Let's say it could be sports, it could be basketball, it could be making money. Some people just love making money, right? I think there are, there are artists who like doing things for the craft, and then there are people who love making money for the, for the money, right? So then it boils down to like the challenge. So I think it's, it starts, I mean, coming back to an earlier point, I think it starts inward, really understanding what you like doing and what you don't like doing. I think for the longest time, there are lots of things that I didn't like doing, and I did it because it was cool and because everyone else also was kind of doing it. I did my undergrad in biotech because my friends are doing it and I haven't applied a single thing related to biotech today. So uh, the earlier you kind of come to that conclusion of this is what you like doing and you should be spending time doing that,
1: uh, the better. So any kind of a tool or something that you'd like to recommend that people to keep, you know, Pulling their ideas, making a kind of a library of the, you know, kind of a stuff that they can keep. Is there a way that you keep your ideas together saying that, you know what, I mean, these are the ideas that, you know, I someday maybe want to go back. So mm-hmm. do you have those kind of stuff? or I mean, is there something that you recommend to people?
0: Yeah, actually, that's a good point. So I have actually all my ideas written down on notes. So let's say on my, my desktop or my laptop or my Mac, like, and let's say there's a note section and every time there's an idea that comes through, I quickly write it. The important thing with ideas is you want to start acting on it, even if it's 2% or 3% right away. Because the more time you spend just ruminating or just letting those ideas simmer, then they become like, oh, dude, I don't think I have the energy to do it. Or you start, mm. you stop, you kind of lose that josh. The other one yeah. is start talking to people about it. I mean, I, I know there's again like two schools of thought around this. Some people are like, oh my God, like what if people steal my idea? And, man, ideas, I guarantee if you're thinking of this idea, that at least 15 people on the world are thinking of the same idea. So, uh, ideas are obviously uh, easily available, but it's important you take your first step towards execution. And it could be in talking to your friends, talking to advisors, maybe doing some research, creating a Google Sheet, writing things down. I I think with with MasterLife, I think even before we came across saying, okay, we're going to create a platform, I think a couple of years back, I was like, dude, I really want to lose 4% body fat. All like, right, go about it. And uh, I said, I don't like doing this by myself. So quickly, I reached out to four or five of my friends. I was like, listen, I'm going to come up with a plan. We'll create a WhatsApp group. These are things you got to do on an everyday basis. Would you be willing to do it with me? And then just for kicks, each of you put in 2000 bucks. And if you don't achieve it, you don't get the money. But if you achieve it, you get that money back. So I think it's important you kind of put it in action quickly, even if it's a small setup. I'm yeah. actually curious, Vijay, about you. Like, you obviously been running this podcast for a while. How did you go about implementing this idea? Like, what was that tiny push that you made to say, I'm going to start this podcast?
1: I'd move to that uh, question you have asked. Uh, but I would like to add one thing that, you know, one of the guests on the show early on was one of the very, very early guests of the podcast. And, and uh, you know, when I asked a similar question, he had this very interesting thing to share. He said you know what? The first idea that we have on our head is usually the right. That idea is really the powerful one. But the first thought, he said, but the second and the third and the fourth and the fifth thoughts that you have will be the thought that will kill that, you know, that first thought. I mean, Mm -hmm. you know, you say, okay, you know what? I want to build this. I want to do this and all of that stuff. And then when you don't take action on it, and then the second third, fourth thought is Oh, okay, that might not work. Oh, okay, it's not a you know, new idea. Oh, okay, uh, I don't think I'm good enough and all those, you know, things stuff and it it's about jumping into that accent. So that's one thing, you know, that uh, that I think helps a lot of people. If you just have that idea, go and implement. Just go and break things if you think, you know what, let me let me go ahead and try it if, if as you mentioned, right, you know, not even if it's like a two to three percent chance there. So that's one. So coming back to my own thing. So when I wanted to do a podcast like I wanted to go out and figure out my own life like i had no idea what i wanted to do in my life and i said you know what when i go and talk to these people who have already figured out what they wanted to do in their life if i keep asking that question saying that hey how did you figure out what you wanted to do in your life because i was clearly not enjoying what i was doing at my job and i said when i go and talk to like let's say 100 people you know asking about their journey on how did you figure out what you wanted to do do in your life then maybe i'll get blueprint to follow on my own life so that I go and figure out what I wanted to do in my life. So that was the simple thing that I wanted to do with my podcast. Just go and ask people, what's your journey? And maybe I find that blueprint for my own life. And then I realized, you know what? I mean, this is something that I'm enjoying a lot doing, which is just asking and then, you know, sharing it with the world. And then I said, I think I found my blueprint and the blueprint is this. Just right. go and talk to people, do it every single week and then, you know, share it with the world. So, yeah. That's but again, cool. but the initial idea was not to maybe just continue to be, doing the podcast long time or maybe, you know, get into the entire podcasting startup space and so on and so forth. But the idea was just to find something that I wanted to do in my life and uh, figure that path out. Yeah. So, yeah.
0: Actually, it's funny when you, when you say that, because I don't know who said this, but a lot of people look for ideas outward. They're like, you know, Oh, what's happening. Well, a lot of the answers actually is inward, right? Like it's what do you like doing on a, on a regular basis? And, and I think like, for example, with Master Life as well, before before this came about, I was just generally curious about how do you improve resilience? How do you improve yeah. your patience? And I would like quickly mm-hmm. do research. I would like try to make a plan. And then I would like try to say, okay, how do I do this in my life? And uh, how do you get better at conflict resolution? And I was like, man, if I am curious, would other people be curious about it? Uh, so yeah. I think yeah, you're right. It actually has to start very micro. It has to start at a level where you're just saying okay, what do I like doing? And then it becomes about the things around it.
1: Yeah. And it kind of, uh, you know, takes the shape of its own. Also, one of the reasons, you know, going back to the question I asked you, saying that when I talk to the people who, uh, you know, the friends who are doing the job or the listeners who are just listening to the podcast and uh, not into the entrepreneur space, they will not have so many ideas. And when I talk to the entrepreneurs, then, you know, they have a lot of ideas. And I think one of the things that, you know, Reasons for that probably is also that when you start taking action, you will see a lot of possibilities within the same thing that you are doing, right? Because when you are not taking action, then you don't know what you can possibly do. But right now, you know, when I started I had the same thing. Like I when I, you know, desperately wanted to do things, I have gone and seen like every damn thing on, you know, how do you make money going and, you know, looking at the serve online service to entry jobs to whatnot, right? All that stuff, because you desperately want to make money. And when you want to do that, you go and find all those different ideas because you are, you don't have any idea. And now if you, you know, again, talk to me because I've started doing things now, I have like a lot of different ideas that, you know, as you said, I wish I had more time to do. How did I land up on that space is probably because by taking that first step saying that, okay, let me try this idea out and let's see where it goes. And then when you do that, you will start seeing a lot of ideas. So,
0: yeah, then most Oops. people actually visit, don't hit their stride till they really... Like, for example, you worked on your first idea and let's say you failed. Like, I remember for the first time when I, was in, when I was 19 years old, I found these really interesting lamps in Goa. And I'm like, oh, they have all these shells and it's only 250 rupees. I was like, dude, I'm going to sell it on eBay. And uh, I bought these bunch of lamps. I came back with 10 of them. I got my friends to also get it for me. And then I tried selling it on eBay and I didn't sell any. Okay. And uh, and then finally, those became marriage gifts. So every time someone gets married, I give them that. <laughs> <marriage>. <laughs> but then they didn't, they didn't succeed. So I think that there was some learning. So it doesn't have to be like you have to succeed in that first idea. Right? You got to keep going at it.
1: Yeah. So now let's say, you know, you worked with a lot of different ideas and you said, okay, these are the different ideas. And I'm sure that happened with you at the Master Life as well. You had a li- lot of different ideas and then You said, okay, how did you validate your idea saying that, okay, I think this idea might work from that, let's say, you know, that WhatsApp group of weight loss, WhatsApp group that you have created, and maybe you might have got some result and so on and so forth. And I think that is also one way of validating the idea that you had saying like, okay, let's do it with like five people. But how do you really go about validating the idea?
0: I can actually give you the theoretical aspect of it first and then kind of break it down into how we did it at Masterlife. In terms of validating an idea, there are actually three steps. You kind of want to follow the lean startup principles, which is exploration, pitch, and concierge. So the first step in terms of exploration is you try to find out who your customers are. And if you don't know, you do like this hypothesis. I believe uh, my customer would be someone who's 28 to 35, who's a male who makes at least six lakhs a year, lives in Bangalore. I kind of come up with a hypothesis of what my customer would look like and what are their current pain points. And you could, and explore that by actually talking to them, doing interviews, surveys, and things like that. But you need to validate the problem first. I think the first thing is you kind of validate like, oh my God, this is the problem that they have. And this is their current behavior. And they're unable to solve the problem. And the second step, once you kind of explode the, sorry, the first step, once you kind of explode who your customers are, what their problems are, and then you pitch. And the, the mistake I think a lot of us make is, well, are like, dude, I have this awesome idea. I start working on it. I build my prototype out. I spend three months assuming this is the knowledge that I have. And then when I talk to the first customer, they're like, I don't really care. I don't really care about your product or service. Or they end up building a website or a landing page. Right? And the challenge with even building a website is you get answers in the form of ones and zeros. Yes, I like what you're doing. No, I bounced off. Right? So it's important to kind of get as much qualitative information in the form of exploration and then when you're pitching to them, which is your second step, you want to pitch also one-on-one, face-to-face. Get their reaction, see how they actually respond. And if, if they have like this cookie monster look in their face going, oh my God, dude, this is a great idea, right? Yeah. So that's when you want to kind of pursue that kind of idea. And uh, once, once you've pitched, now the third step is concierge. So concierge is how do you actually deliver this service without you having to build anything? And I think a great example is Dunzo, right? Like Dunzo, mm-hmm. I think started an HSR layout and uh, they were like, okay, we'll run this task through WhatsApp. So we'll create a WhatsApp group. We're we'll like, guys, anybody who, who wants this task to be done, just ping us on that WhatsApp number. We'll run it and we'll charge you for it and we'll charge a delivery for it. And they ran one quick iteration. And then after doing multiple, maybe hundreds of orders, they're like, okay, now let's build a tech uh, so once you kind of have these three steps in place is when I would recommend that you kind of decide to build your MVP out and product market fit is primarily like you have a product that fits the need of a market and people are willing to pay for it and people are excited about it. And, uh, and I think with master life, which I, uh, I ran actually four programs, how to connect with anyone, how to 2X your productivity, uh, how to get better dating to how to lose 4% body fat. And I actually create these programs randomly. I put it up, as a Google survey saying, I'm going to run this program. If anyone's interested, sign up. And mm-hmm. they signed up and I put a nominal fee on it saying, okay, listen, we're running this program. You're going to get all this content. You're going to get exercise. You're going to have a WhatsApp group. If you're interested, let me know. And people paid anywhere between 899 to 2,500 bucks. And, and I was like, okay, this is interesting. That means people like this content, right? And then I created like a list of courses on a Google sheet saying, what if you could improve your resilience in 30 days? What if you could improve mm-hmm. your passion or your EQ? And I shared it with a few people and said, which courses would you like to see? And people were like, Oh dude, this is great. And then I had like a column, like let's say like 20 columns and people's names. And then they could put X saying they want that specific course. Mm. So I think that's how we validated the idea. And again, I built the MVP out on a tool like Teachable. And and I showed it to people. I spent maybe 30,000 bucks on creating the videos and setting up the website and all that. And then a couple of people liked it. I said, okay, now why don't we go build it out using a dev shop? That was the process.
1: Yeah, I think what I like about the entire thing that you have shared is, and I think that not so many people should do and that's also kind of a breaking a lot of, you know, mindset, a lot of people that I come across and say, you know what, I don't have a lot of money, you know, I want to build this, but I really don't have money. And in, in your case, right, you just went out with Excel sheet and also, you know, getting that these are the programs that I have. And then there you already have clients who are willing to pay. And I think that's the most powerful validation of the idea that you have, right? I mean, people are willing to swipe yeah. that card even before you have anything in place. And that's something that I'm... And I love to do that uh, with any of the product or anything that I create myself, okay? So that's how I got into the entire coaching and teaching kind of thing. So I was at my job and then people, you know, came to me saying that I had no plans to start teaching podcasting and stuff like that. People started coming to me saying, hey, you run this podcast. Can you help me set my podcast? I would get on call and I'll just help them. And then when there was number where, you know, numbers started increasing. And I'm like, you know what? This looks like a market out there. Yeah, Maybe I can create something. And I just drafted a WhatsApp message and circulated it on every damn group that I was part of saying yes. that, I'm doing this six weeks program. If you guys are willing to get into this program, pay me 5,000 rupees. I will only take 10, you know, only 10 people. And I had no course structure. I have nothing. I don't know how I came with that number of six weeks program. I have no clue. I just drafted that WhatsApp message. And on top of that, I was frustrated that day because it was Sunday and I was called at office to go and work. And I came back home saying like, I don't even have a weekend with me. And then, you know, out of frustration, I circulated that message on all the different WhatsApp groups that I was part of. And within 24 hours, I have 50,000 rupees sitting on my bank account. 10 people signed up, paid. Okay. Uh, More than 30 people said, you know, I'm interested. But 10 people paid within 24 hours. And, you know, I said, okay, we are full now. So that's how I started, you know, and then I started designing the program. And uh, same with the, the new course that I launched last month. I had nothing. I literally went on my Facebook and said, I'm doing this new course. It is the online course that I'm doing. Uh, if you guys are interested, here's the early bird pricing. Just go ahead and purchase it. And all I spent on that entire thing is like 1700 bucks that I put out of my pocket. And that too, to create the 3D mock-up for the course thing. Okay, I just created those 3D mock-up of, uh, you know, course saying that this is what the course that I have and no outline, nothing. And then 80 people signed up you know, paid money and then I started, you know, designing the course, asking them, Hey, what would you like to learn more and stuff like that? So I'm a huge fan of people doing this kind of stuff even before developing the product. Yeah. Or you know, you just go in and also that's the big kind of accountability, I believe, that when you have people's money in bank, now you have no options. You can't give excuses because you said you are gonna deliver it on certain day. Yeah. Then you have to work on it. So I mean, it's, it's scary at times because you have to really push yourself when the deadline is like really, really unrealistic. Some, yeah. some, some of the times I said those kind of, yeah, you were saying something, so go ahead.
0: No, no, you're right. I think you hit the nail on the head in terms of creating that WhatsApp group, like sending that message out. And I think the, the, the strength or the inbound, the conversions you get actually proportionately or actually maybe exponentially increases with your brand. So if Vijay did that, let's say with, I don't know, 50,000 members. What if Vijay was at a place where he had a million members? Like Elon Musk is a great example, right? Or oh, dude, we have this building sure. company caps and uh, we've made a limited edition how many you want to buy. And like he made, I think, the first million dollars, right? $50. Yeah. I don't know how much the cap was, but they made a million dollars just like that. So the I think an interesting angle here is to also to continually build your brand. And if you can so, build true. your brand, then if you launch something, I think people will kind of... I have trust in you to say, okay, I could potentially buy this from you.
1: Yeah, great. So now one of the things uh, you know, that I would like to ask you is what are the things that uh, you know, people need to keep in mind when you are, let's say, chatting with your customers to understand their problems that you want to solve? Let's say you have this idea, you have this strength, uh, and you said, okay, I think this idea might work. But now when you are going and talking to customers, saying that, hey, these are the problems that I'm trying to solve, Uh, What are the things that you really want to ask them when you are looking for inputs on the kind of problem that you want to solve?
0: Most entrepreneurs, because we're so wired to sell, the the immediate instinct is to be like, hey, I have this cool product and then to talk more than listen. So I think the first step is to actually listen and not even egg or inch towards the, the solution that you have. But in terms of the questions, I think obviously there's a great book called Running Lean by Ash Moria. And he talks a lot about how to create scripts and how to create open-ended scripts uh, using the Lean Startup Method. So I would definitely recommend people to check out that book. But uh, you want to kind of focus on facts, pain, behavior, and goals. So you want to start off maybe with tell us a little bit about yourself. Like learn about their day-to-day. Learn about what they do and which demographic they kind of fall under. Right. And then when you're asking about behavior, you want to ask them about, let's say, the area that you're in. So, like with Master Dev, let's say we're in personal growth or we're in uh, self improvement. I want to ask what, tell me the last time you actually took a course. Mm. Right. And, uh, okay. So, and let them, they'll say, okay, you know, I took this course. Oh, then you can ask follow up questions. Okay. So, why did you take that course? Like, what stage of life were you in when you took that course? So, the more you get into the psyche and the more qualitative feedback you're able to get, the more you can use that also for your marketing purpose. So try to get information about their behavior and then try to kind of hint or get towards the pain point as well. Like, Oh, were they, were they struggling with dating? And hence they took that dating course, right? Or well, were they struggling with, let's say in the 26, 27, I have some corpus set up. I need to know where to put my money. I need to learn about financial investment, right? So, I think it's to learn more about their pain points and then finally their goals. Like, what are they trying to achieve? And uh, I think an additional question which could be really interesting is asking them if they had a magic wand, if they could have any solution, what would they look like? What would that look like? And again, there are two schools of thought around this where you have the Steve Jobs kind of school of thought where like you don't ask them the solution, you present them the solution and because we know better than the customers. And then the other one is you, you kind of ask them what the magic wand experience is and if you can deliver that in some form. Uh, it doesn't have to be. like I think Henry Ford was like, if you asked people what they wanted, they would have said they wanted faster faster horses, not cars, yeah. right? So yeah. I think the, but the magic wand experience kind of at least hints towards which direction they're headed. I think it Mm. gives you some information there. And it's important to at least interview six to 20 people. I I think in that demographic that you're looking at, they say six people will give you 85% of the problems if you hit the right demographic. So try to get that number going. And the more people you interview, the better.
1: Yeah. So yeah, I think just having that conversation and understanding, you know, what uh, the problems and as you rightly said, it's especially when you are just getting started and when you're just starting, it's easy for you to push your product and say that, hey, go ahead and get this product. Rather than understanding what else I can, you know, improve on the product or the service that I have so that you can make that the best solution that's available out there for them. So now that let's say, you know, you have figured that out. Okay, my pro- I have a product and I'm now solving the customer's problems. Okay, I kind of lost a track there. Okay, so let's say you have this product and then you said, okay, now you kind of, that, that there's a fit between what the problem the customers are facing and then you have product there, right? How do you go about building it? Like, do you go and look for the funds right away, find the, you know, VCs, you know, asking for the money or how do you fund that initial, let's say, you know, MVP or want to build that first prototype? How do you suggest that people should be really looking at going about it?
0: So I think with the VC space, there is some misinterpretation of when they come in. Because mm-hmm. a lot of people are like, oh, I have this prototype and, you know, I think I should go to the VCs and pitch and yeah. money, right? I think you've got to look at VCs as someone who's willing to put money into something that's already working. That means you yeah. just need to accelerate the business. I don't want to spend time with you trying to figure out whether you're going to achieve product market fit. Of oh, so you already have a team of five, you're already able to create X number, of course, a month or do 15 deliveries. But if I gave you this money with the current cost per acquisition that you have, you could move it to 2000 deliveries a month, right? So I think a good time to think about it is first of all, your VCs should be customers. Like what do VCs mean? People are putting money into the business, right? So your biggest evangelist could be your customers putting money into the business. And sure. a VC should be a good to have, not a must have. I think what's happened is traditional businesses that have, that have been built, have been built so well without VCs in the past. And because of so much hula around this, our dependency towards VCs have gone up. And I think it's important to know with VCs, it's, it's more about access. It's lesser about the, I mean, let's say if I have an idea and Vijay has an idea, similar credentials, but Vijay knows VCs better it's a good possibility you'll get funded unless my traction mm. triumphs your traction in a massive yeah. way. So you have to kind of consider these things and it's a close-knit. We see Circle as a close net. So, I mean, I will give you a roundabout longer, like 20,000-foot kind of vision towards this or the view towards this, but I think the smart thing to do, first of all, is focus on getting your first five customers or 10 customers, 15 customers. Can you hit a point where your business is decently sustainable? And, uh, and then you're like, okay, uh, let's hire people maybe, right? Because if you're going to talk to a VC, they want to know you already have the pieces in place. And I think the stages of the VC, obviously are, you have your family and friends first, then you have your angels and then you have your VCs. So definitely get your first set of customers, have your prototype or your MVP built, then maybe go to an angel or go to an accelerator and then kind of follow the VC steps.
1: Great. So one of the things that now I want to talk about is the failures, right? Because... As you rightly mentioned, entrepreneurship right now is sexy. Everybody want to be an entrepreneur. Everybody, you know, uh, feel like, you know what, I I just want to have that entrepreneur title on my LinkedIn profile saying that, you know, entrepreneur or co-founder or founder or whatever. So while it's there, but 90% startups in India fail within the first two years. What are some of the most common reasons that you have uh, seen while working with a lot of entrepreneurs? in the past, and also now that you are an entrepreneur yourself, you know, on that circuit and I'm sure you see uh, a lot of entrepreneurs saying that, okay, screw it, we are shutting it down. So what are some of the, you know, most common reasons that you have uh, identified?
0: So I think, Vijay, the first reason is they're not achieving product market fit. I mean, you have a lot of actually articles on Google and if you type why the reasons fail, they don't list product market fit as the first reason they'll raise they say reasons like funding or marketing and like not finding the right customers. I mean, fundamentally, it's you having a product that doesn't fit the need of a market. And that means customers are not willing to pay. So you either need to pivot on the customer or pivot on the geography, but you need to have something which is completing a loop. Second is, I know people have failed in the past because of surprisingly co-founder problems. You have two people that are working exhaustively together. And then they've had a difference in opinion and then that kind of breaks the company down. There is obviously third in terms of running out of money, which is your product market fit itself. But I was part of a startup called Lean Startup Machine. We did extremely well as a workshop company. So we did we've done like 300 workshops around the world and we would kind of help people validate demand before building the product, try to build this tool out. And we raised $1.5 million from Mark Suster on Upfront Ventures. We spent a lot of money building the MVBR because we were pivoting into a tech company. And uh, it can be also not managing your costs well. Like imagine building the same startup in New York versus building it in, in, let's say, a tier two city or even in Bangalore, right? Like the runway itself, you just maybe, maybe needed a little more runway. So you didn't manage your costs well. But I would mostly say like either people have not figured out what their recurring revenue strategies and uh, but on a, on the larger scheme of things, Bajair, like today, I mean, COVID, let's look at COVID, right? Like it has really exposed companies to say like most companies don't have more than three months of runway if revenue is not yeah. coming in. It's a little scary, right? I mean, and it's, yeah. unfortunately, that's the nature of how the world is set up. It's not just good companies. I mean, not just like companies that are not doing well revenue wise. It's also good companies that are su- have such high fixed costs that they are, and yep. then there are sixty-day payment periods. Like they everyone's gotten affected, right? So tough, man. I mean, with Master Life, we could fail as well. Who knows uh, if we don't kind of get enough traction or not hit the point where we are break even. And then obviously there's angles like mental resilience, like saying, okay, I don't want to do this anymore, and I quit.
1: You know. So how do you, you mentioned about the resilience uh, of Time, and I think that's like really, really important as an entrepreneur to just stick to the game. But again, I think there's a fine line between being a stupid saying that, you know what, you know, I'll still continue doing what I'm doing versus saying that, you know what, it's going to work, but it's just that, you know, it's going to take a while, right? So there's a fine line between that. How do you decide, okay, you know, this is when I got to give up okay, this is not working. I'm going to shut down before you say, okay, I'm, I'm shutting this down. Versus saying that, you know, I want to be resilient and then let this pass. Is there something that, you know...
0: I think sometimes it helps to get an external opinion. If you watch Shark Tank or any of these episodes, like you'll have Kevin O'Leary say, dude, take that idea and shoot it in the barn, like shoot it at the back in the barn. So uh, sometimes you can be so emotionally connected to the idea that you can you can go on and not still seeing the metrics like the way you should. And it's such a double-edged sword because entrepreneurs need to be a little hotkey. They need to be unconventional. We need to be slightly like, Oh my God, we're going to change the world. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's important to kind of objectively say that the second thing is, I mean, I know people will disagree with, with me when it comes to this, like you've got to be slightly mostly detached with your idea. You got to pursue idea like it's a job. It's good that I love my job in terms of I'm putting in all this time. I would be a great employee because I'm overworked and underpaid. <laughs> so like my mm-hmm. productivity is off the charts as an entrepreneur, right? Because I'm putting in so much work. But you got to believe that it's okay. If it didn't work, your identity is not tied to it. Not mm-hmm. like, oh my God, I'm a failure in life. It happened dude. like long term. Maybe there's another idea that will come about. Go back. Like you still have a roof on your head so I actually tell a lot of entrepreneurs even today to still diversify their time. still still create time to have fun, still create time to like date or, you know, spend time with your family. And like, because if you can suddenly feel very like isolating from the world, if you didn't do those things, uh, so continue doing those things and you put a lot of pressure on yourself. If you, if you say it's this idea or nothing, you know, I mean, mm-hmm. I'm, I'm 33 today and, I'm and, and and I feel like, so I'm obviously very optimistic about master life, and we're going to push hard for the next two years. But I'm I'm saying, okay, if, let's say if two years we push and we don't get any results. Okay, we'll get a, we'll get a job. We'll uh, yeah. I will feel terrible for sure. But we'll get yeah. a job and maybe go back at it later.
1: Yeah. So I think that uh, obviously the online space is booming, and the kind of stuff that you are doing, I'm sure you know you guys definitely are not going to land there with, you know, all the space opening up big time. So also, you know, is there any spaces that you see that are upcoming and coming up big time after, you know, especially after the COVID era, if you are on that circuit and if there's something that people can really think about, because a lot of people are now still talking about saying, hey, I'm looking at opening up this offline store and which, you know, I tell them saying that, you know what I. Am not sure if offline store is something that you should really be looking at at this point of time. So Mm. are there any any industries, I think that you'd like to say, hey, I think these are the upcoming industry.
0: Yeah, so I think FMCG, food, pharma, education, pure tech plays, I think all these are really picking up. The world is obviously getting a lot flatter. So if you're doing B2B SaaS, B2C, see when I say B2B SaaS, that means the entire value chain is on the cloud, right? So you don't have to. So those businesses are good to go obviously you're going to have a lot of competition in the content space because everyone today can be a content creator you're spending three more hours at home consuming content so if you can differentiate yourself from a place of content could be an interesting lifestyle business for you to look into companies are going to look at building culture and making sure they don't lose people because it's harder to keep people engaged when they're remote so if you can kind of tackle that problem it's interesting. You're totally like Air Me recently lost, I mean, sorry, recently raised $3 million and uh, by, I mean, from Axel and they are Indian. I use the product. It looks a little like Zoom, but it's more like a conferencing style kind of product. Uh, at least that's my take on it. So you'll see a lot of these kind of businesses pick up, but fundamentally, I think all these existing industries that have Taken a hit let's say in the in the short run, let's say real estate transportation, electronics and let's say automobiles or even like tourism, right? are there things that you can do to offer the same value to your consumer while changing the delivery of medium? I think if you can figure that out, nothing like it. So yeah, I was gonna say with real estate right people are not necessarily thinking of buying real estate but what if you suddenly said oh okay the borrowing rates now that bank gives you nine percent to buy real estate i'll give it to you at six percent that could be mm. interesting what if like suddenly you could convert homes into half office spaces and half homes as a setup
1: you know that's really interesting yeah
0: right so i think people have to start getting creative in their own domain and not necessarily pivot to say i am moving away from my domain altogether
1: Interesting. So what is your vision for master life in another five years? Where do you see if everything works well? And I'm sure, you know, you guys are launching soon. Are you guys have already launched. We have
0: already launched. We launched in April. We already have yeah. 1500 users. We have a first 105 wow. paying customers. We launched 12 experts and we're doing, we're actually launching eight programs per month for the next three months straight. And we're going to have some interesting Programs like how to have a high performance mindset, how to improve your EQ, how to improve your confidence, how to improve your resilience. So I think we're trying to go niche comparison to a lot of other companies that are doing something similar. But uh, in terms of our goal for the next five years is we want to, I guess, build the ecosystem around life skills. So today, when you think about life skills, you think about maybe you want to take a course, but can we offer workshops? can we offer one-on-ones, can we offer consulting? We offer products, can we do events, right? So building the ecosystem around this and also maybe going vernacular. I know there's a lot of amazing content creators that have created some amazing content in Hindi and uh, and other languages. So uh, if we can kind of figure a way out to use them effectively or collaborate with them effectively uh, so that we can provide value to them. And I guess the people that are going to log into the app, nothing like it.
1: Super, that sounds exciting and wish you all the success for the Master Life Anirudh. So I have one last question, but how can people reach out to you and check out Master Life? What is the best possible way?
0: I think obviously Master Life, you can check out our website, masterlife.in. You can download the app from there. Obviously, Instagram, we're on Instagram and LinkedIn and uh, Facebook and things like that. But uh, if you want to reach out to me, I would say LinkedIn is a good place to connect with me. And uh, I'm actually a lot quicker in terms of random messages on LinkedIn uh, because I'm constantly posting stuff and interacting and with people there. And, uh, but otherwise, if there's some collaboration that you're looking at, you can always email me. That's ani, A-N-I, at masterlife.in.
1: All right, super, guys. Make sure that you check the app out. And there are some really, really interesting courses that Anirudh has already mentioned about how to date to how to start a business. To how to build the resilience, as he said, you know, is coming up, and uh, I love the interface and you know how beautifully the courses are, and and the entire platform was designed. I loved uh, going through some of the courses on the app, so I highly encourage that you guys go and check it out. And also, the reason that I wanted to have Anirudh on the podcast is, you know, the kind of courses that are out there on Master Life fits perfectly with the kind of audience that we have here because. Uh, you are also looking at the personal transformation and self-help space. And that's what, you know, my podcast audience are as well, because these are the people who are constantly looking at getting better at one thing or the other in their life. Uh, You know, how to be more confident, how to have more meaningful conversations, how to have more deeper relationship, how do I get better at my health, and so on and so forth. And those are the kind of stuff that you are doing there at The Master Life as well. So make sure, guys, you check that out. I'll put the link on the description of this episode. So I have this one last question, Anirudh. Sure. Um, for you before we sign off. Imagine that you're standing on a stage and uh, this one is the largest stadium that has ever been built in the history of the world and there are millions and millions of people on that stadium. And you have been given only one minute of the time to share the most important lesson that you have learned in your life. What would be your message?
0: I think all that you want is just outside of your comfort zone and it applies to all areas of your life. And uh, when you start stepping out of your comfort zone, you kind of realize that you've built some identity for yourself. But as Tim Ferriss says, like 25% of it is finding yourself and 75% of it is creating yourself. So take some risks, obviously, in life, take care of your health, have a nice balance between fun and family and work. And at the end of the day, in the larger scheme of things, you are a speck in this universe. So don't take yourself too seriously. And just try to help as many people along the way. There's no, it's harder to be happy and light and it's tougher to be hard and negative. And uh, you don't have to owe up to who you are to anybody. I mean, you could just be you. And if they don't get it,
1: it doesn't matter. Thank you so much, man. Thanks. I really enjoyed having this conversation with you. Same
0: here, Vijay. Thank you so much for having me here.
1: Thank you so much for listening to this episode of the Inspiring Talk podcast. The show is topping charts on Apple podcast and some other platforms. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for all the love and support. It would mean a lot to me if you can leave a nice review for the show. I hope you learned something or got some inspiration in this episode. If you did, take a screenshot of this episode and post it on Instagram. And don't forget to tag me at the rate Speaks. You can access the show notes of this episode by visiting theinspiringtalk.com forward slash 9090. Thank you so much for listening. I'll catch you in the next. Now, go out there and do something inspiring.